Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, grab one of these, take it home as our gift to you. If you just forgot your Bible, grab one of these to use. Grab whatever you've got, your, your iPhone, your, your Bible, and turn to Matthew chapter 18 this morning. You know, in, in our culture, as we've been talking about sin and repentance and, 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 and all, the, all that we deal with the heart of sin, we, we, we oftentimes we kind of push this, this idea of sin into a private emotional process. It, it was between me and God, it's just my thing, and I, I'm going to do it privately, I'm going to take care of it vertically, and, and, that's what, and yet when you look at Scripture, we, we see that Scripture calls us into a community to deal with sin. There's an action to deal with sin that all of us, as the family of God, as, as the church, we're called to this action. And, and we talk a lot about what we call the vertical. Our hearts before the Lord, and, and, and we, we talk a lot about, about moving each other to that place where you see yourself vertically, you see yourself before the Lord, and it all begins there. It's why the first two sermons in this series, we talked a lot about our sin before God, because we wanted a, a perspective, a God perspective of our sin. And when we see our sin vertically, and we see that we've sinned against a holy God, that we've actually said to our creator that, no, I don't want you in my life. I don't want what you have for me. I'm going to choose this instead. I mean, this is what makes grace so amazing. That God, when we look at this vertically as well, we see that, that God, when we do that to him, but yet, yet we turn to him in repentance, that, that he forgives us. The, the prodigals who, who tell the father, I wish you were dead, and then lived like it when they turn and return. Even covered in the consequences of our sin. God's forgiveness is complete, it's total, it's transforming. We're delighted in by God. And so it begins with the vertical. Even this idea of confession, it begins with the vertical. If you, you've been tracking in this series, Pastor Lee, the third ser sermon in the series, he talked about what does it look like to, to bring our sin before God vertically. But this idea of deep clean, it's, it's much more than just private between us and God. There's something very horizontal about this as well. And, and, and we know this, that sin never just impacts us privately. Sin always, listen, always, even that private sin nobody knows about, sin always has an impact of, on people around us. It definitely hurts the ones that we sin against. But, but even, even the sin that's more of a private sin, it, it, there's an effect of our sin in the lives of those around us. And so we need to have a theology. We need to have a, a practice that deals with the horizontal of our sin, and deals with the horizontal of forgiveness, of, of relationship restoration, of, of reconciliation. So we're going to dig into Matthew 18 and see what, what does God say about the horizontal? What does God say about how we deal with each other in this area of sin? and forgiveness, and reconciliation. Before we do that, would you, would you join me and just, we, just lift this up to the Lord as we begin, but just by praying, God, God, would you reveal what you want to reveal? So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, <clears throat> we know as we tackle topics like this that it's not a small topic, that 
that we're not talking about things that are just, are just theoretical or ethereal, but we're talking about things that we wrestle with day in and day out. And, and Lord God, I know that in this room there are people who have felt the impact, the effect of sin, whether sin that they've committed. There are people here this morning who have felt the sin that's been done to them and carry the, the wounds and the hurts and the scars of that. God, I pray that this morning as we unpack your word, Lord, that you would transform us by your word. God, that you'd speak to our hearts, you'd speak to our heads. God, that we would read what you have for us. God, that it would be your words to us. God, none of me and all of you as we dig into this this morning, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just jump right in. Here, here's the first question we need to ask this morning is this, how do I pursue this? How do I pursue forgiveness? How do I pursue reconciliation? How do I pursue my sin? How, how do I pursue the horizontal forgiveness? And, and here's the first thing you need to, need to have kind of just in the forefront of your mind as we unpack this more is that we, we need to love and protect each other. We need to be those who are looking out for each other or looking to restore each other. In fact, before we get to the verses we, we want to really dig into, go, go right to the beginning of chapter 18 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. So the disciples are coming alongside Jesus and they're asking this question, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse two says, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus brings this, this kid in and he says, hey, hey, you, you wanna know what it's like to be a Christ follower? You wanna know what it's like to be a child of the king? This is it right here. Now, here's the thing. We, we can take this verse, and a lot of times we'll do this. we we'll go, hey, hey, look how much Jesus values kids. And I do appreciate that. I think there's a, a part in that, that, that there's this value that Jesus gives to children, even in this moment. And in other moments, he does the same, where he tells the disciples, hey, hey, don't tell the kids to, to stay away from me. I want the kids around me. So we value kids. I mean, here at Harvest, we love kids. The, the amount of resources and time that we pour into our kids here at Harvest is because they're valued by our Heavenly Father. But there's something more going on here than just Jesus saying kids are okay, kids are good, kids should be valued. He just said to his disciples, you need to be like this child. And he's saying, this is what it looks like to be in God's family, to be humble like this child. So, so now he's saying, so we're all these children in God's family. We're all children of the king. So, so when Jesus goes on and he continues to talk about kids, you gotta understand that he's, he's unpacking more than just kids. He's talking about all of us. We're all kids of our heavenly father. And when you grab a hold of that imagery, how, how much bigger you, you can take that, what Jesus is saying, you can feel the weight of verses five and six now. Jesus says this, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Remember he says in, in Matthew 25 where he talks about the sheep and the goats. He says, those who, who took care of the poor, they were taking care of me. Those who took care of the sick, they were taking care of me. He says, when you're doing this, you're doing it like you're doing it to me. And so here he says again, whoever receives one of these childs, you're receiving me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened on his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now think about the imagery here. Jesus is saying, when you hurt one of God's kids, talking about Christ followers, if you're a follower of Christ, he's talking about you. He's talking about me. When you hurt one of God's kids, 
Think about what that means. I mean, it's, it's something for, for someone to offend me or to hurt me, but it's a, a bigger deal if you hurt one of my daughters. I mean, you could hurt me all day long, but you hurt one of my kids, and I'm a pretty laid-back guy. All right, I'm a lover, not a fighter, but you hurt my daughters, all right? And I'd probably have some serious words with you, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm already asking guys, hey, what's the best gun to buy for when my girls get to be dating age, all right? And I've told them that's like 35 when they get that age. <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. I heard one guy say this, you, you play with my daughter's heart, I will show you your heart. I thought that's a good one. I might save that one. Have you guys been tracking the, the court case that's been going on in the States about the, the doctor of the, the, in the gymnast program who abused so many little girls? Did you see what just happened recently? The father in the courtroom who asked the judge, could you just give me five minutes in a locked room with this guy? And the judge obviously said, no, I can't do that. And, and the, guy, the guy snaps in the courtroom. He, he runs towards the guy. Two guards have to tackle him to the ground. And I'm telling you, in that moment, watching that, I am not sitting there saying, man, this guy's got to keep his cool. I'm saying, man, I get that. I understand that. So now think about what God is saying here. I mean, a good dad watches out for his children in an even greater, more passionate way than he watches out for himself and, and see the, the love and the passion in Jesus' words here. He says, you treat my kids harshly. You treat someone who's a, a son or daughter of mine, you'd wish you'd tied a millstone around your neck and thrown yourself into a watery grave. <clears throat> Hear what that's saying to us. It's saying, listen, as a church, we need to love and care for each other enough to see the power of these words. I mean, are you sinning against somebody? Hear the power of these words. Are you seeing somebody who's sinning against someone? Hear the heavenly father say to you right now, that's my kid. We're, gonna, we're talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. We're, we're gonna get there, but, but see the context here of what Jesus is talking about. We need, we need to love and care and protect each other as brothers and sisters of the King of Kings. I mean, you and I are bombarded with temptations to sin everywhere. We see it, we hear it, we feel it. It's, it's all over us, our world pressing in on us. So, so let, let, let's not add to that temptation and tempt each other towards more sin. Listen, don't gossip to me when I already struggle with sin. Don't tempt me with materialism when, when we're bombarded with materialism all around us. If you're here as a single person, you're in a dating relationship, do not tempt your girlfriend or boyfriend into sexual sin when they're fighting for purity against everything the world's pressing in on them. It would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea. Listen, we protect each other. We care for each other. We love each other. We're radically concerned about each other's holiness. We're radically concerned about our own holiness. Why? Because we're children of the Father. So we watch out for each other. We watch out for ourselves. We restore each other to wholeness. Look down at verse 15. Here's where we're gonna really dig into it. 
What's it look like to forgive somebody? Verse 15 says, if your brother or your sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You can see from these verses that sin is not a private deal. This is in community that this happens. So, so let's break it down. How, how does this look? What does it look like then to pursue this kind of forgiveness and reconciliation? Well, the first thing is this. If you want to see the steps that Jesus lays out for us, first is approach privately. You approach privately. He says, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now listen, as a church, I'm just talking about our church. I think as church, general church, we need to be better at this. I think when, when it comes to confronting sin, we, we normally fall off on one side in error or the other side in error. We either fall off in one side where we avoid it completely. We see sin happening. We're even sinned against. We're like, nah, I don't want to go there. It's too uncomfortable. It's too awkward. I, I'd rather not pursue that. And, and listen, listen, when we avoid it, it's incredibly unloving. It's like watching a kid run out into the street and hope it goes well for them. No, no, you, you yell, you chase, you, you bring them back. Why? You, because you love them, you, you confront them. And so let, let's not fall to the error of avoiding sin and never talking about sin and never lovingly confronting sin. It's wrong. The other way we fall, though, is we go off to the other side and, and we attack. I mean, Scripture says that love should cover a multitude of sins. We're told in Galatians to bear with one another. I mean, the, the literal translation of bear with one another is put up with each other. Listen, you're going to be sinned against. Can, can you cover some sin up? There, there are some sins where we don't need to go after it, where we can say, you know what? That's not normally how they would treat me. That's not normally something they would say. They must just be having an off day. I'm not gonna be offended by that. Also, if you think about it, this call to confront, it's, it's not a license for us to be the sin police. We don't get our junior Holy Spirit badge on and, and go after people and go, oh, I'm gonna confront all your sin. Right, you get your little sin ticket book out, that thing you said. I know it didn't come out how you said it, but I, I'm guessing in your heart there was sin behind that. No, no, I'm still gonna write you a ticket anyway. All right, like that's how we sometimes do it, right? No, 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 no. Because we love each other, we can absorb there can be days where we say, Lord, give me grace to absorb that sin because I know that's not the normal for this person. And yet, listen, and yet there are times when sin needs to be confronted, when it can't just be overlooked. When someone's in continual sin, unrepentant sin, when somebody is sinning against somebody and you know that they're hurting that person or they're hurting you, it needs to be confronted. Because here's the idea, this whole idea of forgiveness and restoration, it's calling somebody to repentance. You're, you're appealing to them on behalf of their soul. It's you, it's you loving them because you care about their soul. It's you loving them because you care about maybe the people they're sinning against. Step one, though, you, you go privately. You keep the circle small, right? So it's not, hey, hey, 
Hey, hey, hey Jim, come here. Do, do you know what Billy did? Yeah, let me tell you about it. I got to go confront him. All right, that, that's, not, that's not going privately. It's, it's not, hey, let me just call up the pastor. Hey, 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 Pastor Kai, let me tell you what so-and-so did. I need you to go talk to them about their sin because I saw it. It's all over Facebook. You got to go. No, it's you go privately. And why are you doing this? Jesus says this, because you could gain a brother or sister. It's about restoration. It's about restoring their soul. It's, it's about restoring a relationship. And Jesus says, you go to them, and look what he says, tell them their fault. The, the actual wording here, it's, it's the same wording that Paul uses in the rest of his letters in the New Testament where he talks about evangelizing. Isn't that interesting? It's not, I'm going to tell you all the stuff you do wrong. You're, you're evangelizing. You're, you're bringing the gospel. You're, you're appealing to the gospel as you talk to them. You're pointing your brother or sister to Christ. The purpose isn't just, I'm going to tell them off. The, you're trying to appeal to them. Listen, I, I need you to see the gospel in this. I want you to repent and be healed. So, so it's not about being right or wrong. It's a concern for the soul of your brother or sister. And it's out of that concern that you would actually enter into one of the most awkward, uncomfortable situations, confronting somebody in their sin. You're risking a relationship. Why? Because you care about winning your brother or sister back to the gospel, to the Lord. And in light of eternity, you're going to make that confrontation happen. Now, what happens if they don't listen? You bring the sin before them and they, they say, I don't care. I'm going to keep living this way. Or they say, you know, I don't, I don't agree with you. I don't think it's sin, or I, I, don't, uh, I'm, I, I don't think you're right. Or, or they say, okay, you're right, but they continue in sin. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 16. He says, if, if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, so we, we first go privately. Secondly, then, we, we bring others along. It, it's community now. now. Now understand, when you're bringing others along, it isn't you grabbing some, hey, I gotta get two or three guys that can hold this guy while I punch them and tell them all this, and that's not what it is, right? It's not trying to build up a case for yourself. Here's part of the beauty of bringing others along. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe, maybe you're not wrong about the sin, but maybe the way you approach the person to confront them in their sin, maybe you didn't do it with grace and with love and with compassion. Maybe you didn't speak clearly, so you're bringing others along that, that maybe to help you. But for sure to bring more weight to bear on that person as you plead for them towards Repentance. And Jesus says, you, you go as witnesses. What, what's that mean? It means you go because you're saying, listen, I see the same thing in your life. You're not going as extra muscle to, to boost up the person's courage. You're going as someone to say, listen, I see the same thing. And you appeal to the gospel. Now, now, now it's more than just one of you. Now it's three or four of you saying, we love you. Please hear this. Now, what happens even then? What, what happens in that situation? You, you've called a, a small group leader, some other people in your small group to, to confront this person. They still don't respond. <coughs> they don't care. They say, I see it differently. They continue in the same sin. Well, Jesus goes on, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
So, so thirdly, so we do it privately, we bring others along. If still the person is unrepentant in their sin, still pursuing sin, you bring it to the church. Now, that verse there, it might seem harsh when you read it at first, but, but see the grace in this verse. What Jesus is saying here is, is listen, if he doesn't listen to the, the few of you, then you, you bring the church into this. Then now there's a body of people who love that person. And they're all now saying, come back to Christ. It's, it's a picture of the grace of God, that God loves you so much that he won't let you stay in that sin. And when you, when you call something sinful good and you just keep pursuing it, God loves you so much. These are, listen, listen, I'm not just gonna send one person after you. I'm not just gonna send two or three people after you. I'm gonna send a whole army of people who love you to bring grace and mercy to you, to bring you back to the gospel. I mean, that's the grace of God. That's the love of God on display. Maybe you're here and you go, man, I don't know if I've ever seen a church do this. We do this here at our church. Now, now here's something. That it doesn't always mean that the, a person's sin is going to come up and be told to everybody. Because here's the thing, on, on most Sundays, very many people who come and worship with us on a Sunday, many of them aren't members of the church. So, so, so they're not really even a, a part of the community of the church in that way where, where you're going to be walking with shoulder to shoulder with the people that we're going to be talking about. So, so often this is going to happen more in small groups or in regions or where coaches are involved for sure. When it gets to this point, it's made its way up to pastors and elders and the sin is being exposed. The person's being lovingly called back to the faith by the people they do life with. Now, in saying that, there are occasions where the whole church, and we'll just risk that there are people here who, who aren't members of the church, we're going to risk it because the sin is a sin that has impacted so many people. The person's still unrepentant, and, it, and it'll come to the whole church. And you've probably been in a service here at our church. We've done that. And Jesus says, when the person still refuses, you, when you bring it to the church and they still refuse it, it says, treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile. Now, what's Jesus saying there? What does he mean? He says, they're, they're acting as though they're not part of the covenant community. They may be claiming the name of Christ, but by their actions, they're showing they're not part of the community of Christ. They're not acting like a brother and sister. So he says, treat them like they're outside of the community. That's what a, a Gentile and a tax collector would be in this Jewish culture. They're, culture, they're not part of the community. Now, now, what's that mean? Well, you shun them, you hate them, you throw rocks at them, you yell at them. No, what, what did Jesus do to tax collectors and Gentiles? He pursued them. So when, so when somebody says, hey, forget what you say, forget what the elders say, forget what the Bible says, I'm doing what I want, they're, they're bearing the fruit of unbelief, they're, they're revealing my heart is actually not a heart that pursues Jesus. I'm not a, a regenerate man or woman. And the, their actions reveal that they don't possess belief. And so you treat them like an unbeliever. What's that mean? You're appealing to them to come back to Christ. It doesn't mean that you're just welcome back in the community to keep sinning and hurting people, no. But even though they're no longer part of the fellowship, you're still appealing to them, to the gospel. Say, would you repent? Would you turn? Would you stop pursuing the sin you're pursuing? That's all well and good for the, 
the thousand foot level of how this thing works out. But if you're like me, I'd be reading this. I'd be thinking maybe this morning, what's this look like, like boots on the ground? Like what's this look like in my relationships, in my life? How does this work in my family, in my small group, in the people that I run with? I'd say this, the first thing we see as we read through this text is that confrontation is hard, but listen, it's not bad. It's not sinful to confront somebody. It's the part of doing community together that feels most like surgery for sure. It's gonna cut, it's gonna hurt. When someone points out that sin, when the Holy Spirit uses the words of somebody as that knife in your heart that's cutting out the sin in your life, so listen, if, if you're gonna do it, it is hard. It, it, it starts with humility. It starts with boatloads of prayer because you don't wanna mishandle the scalpel as you step in to point out sin. Surgery will never go well when you're holding the scalpel if you're not humble. And listen, if you're the one being confronted, surgery will never go well if you're not humble to receive it. It's our pride that causes us to, to defend, to fight, to, to excuse, to hide. And so what do we do? We see the cross of Christ and it humbles us. We see the cross of Christ as the one who is confronting and it humbles us to recognize our own sinfulness and humbles us to recognize how much we've been forgiven as we pursue. When we see the cross of Christ as the one being confronted, it, it shows us, you know what it shows me? The cross of Christ shows me, man, I'm more messed up and broken than any of you could ever confront in my heart. And so when you're gonna point out sin in my heart, if I keep the cross before me, I would, well, thank you, thank you, because there's more in here. And I, I see the cross and I recognize that, that God loved me enough to send Christ, that Jesus loved me enough to die for all these sins so I can hear the truth of this sin. So, so a humility, a, a real grasp of the gospel, it stops us from defending and excusing when we're confronted. It stops us from turning any kind of confrontation into a courtroom. I mean, that's what our pride does, doesn't it? Someone confronts us and immediately it's a courtroom. And we start to, to build our case. Well, well, here are five godly things that I've done, and that should nullify this one little thing you've said. Next witness, right? Or what do we do? We turn it around on that person. And you better have the perfect admonishment. You better confront me perfectly. Wait, wait, wait. You said I did that three times? I did it twice. Next witness. Let's humbly allow for a, a less than perfect confrontation. Nobody here will confront perfectly. We're all sinners. But the question is, do you want God to speak to you? Because he speaks through his word as he convicts, but he also speaks through, through those who are closest to us as they bring God's word to us. So let me ask you this. Would, would people in your life say that you're easy to approach? Would people in your life say that you're easy to correct? Before you answer that question right away, go, of course I am. Maybe you need to ask somebody. Maybe, maybe today you need to ask your spouse or, or your, your closest friends or your small group this week, hey, hey am, I, am I easy to confront? Let's be humble enough to hear it. Here's the second thing, just as we're, we're thinking through, what does this look like, like in my relationships? Yeah, confrontation's hard, but it's not bad. But here's the question I would be asking, what if the person's not repentant? 
do I still forgive them? How do I reconcile with a person who's hurt me and continues to hurt me? I, mean, I think many people have been, have been hurt in the church because they've heard this, that you should always forgive, automatically just forgive. It doesn't matter the hurt, it doesn't matter the pain, you just forgive. When they're not repentant, you forgive them anyway. If they continue to sin against you, you just gotta, you just gotta forgive. You gotta, you gotta bring them back in. And so what do you have? You have people who have been abused, who have sought out protection from the church, and the church says, just forgive them and let's get you guys back together. Listen, listen, hear this clearly. Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. For forgiveness does not always equal a, a restoration of the same relationship. Forgiveness is not trust. There are some people who have demonstrated that, that they probably shouldn't be trusted for a while. You, you can forgive the abuser, but it doesn't mean you immediately let them back into your life. We need to have wisdom, people. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Justice being served is not unforgiving. Yeah, there are times we can forgive somebody, but justice is God's way of grace in that person's life to bring them back to restoration. So justice does not, does not negate forgiveness and, and grace. No, no, sometimes justice needs to be there. In fact, I would say this. I was just talking about that, that court case of that doctor that abused so many of those little girls, gymnasts, and, and, and go online and Google Rachel Den Hollander. She's one of the first ones to give the impact statement. You know where, where people who have been abused and people who are in court, they give the impact statement? She gives the, I would say, probably the clearest picture of what it looks like to forgive, to, to offer grace, sorry, to somebody who is unrepentant in their sin. You just gotta Google her. Just, just go online and, and Google victim gymnastics uh, uh, um, statement. It's unbelievable as she lays out the gospel and what it means for justice still to be served. person who continually hurts you, you don't let them back in, a person who doesn't pay his bills, you, you might forgive that person who never pays your bills, but, but, but you're not going to trust them in the same way. Again, you're, you maybe the next time you deal with them, you're like, hey, can I get some money up front? Well, I thought you forgave me. I do forgive you. I don't trust you yet. Do you see the difference? All right, so the question is, when do I forgive, though? When do I forgive? I, I think the question you need to ask is, is somebody repentant? Are they repentant? Because listen, repentance, it's more than remorse. Re remorse is, sorry, I got caught. Remorse is, I don't like feeling bad. I want to feel better. Judas showed remorse for what he did. He didn't repent, though. So, so what do you say? We, we, can, we can do away with all the lame apologies, right? The, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry, but you need to know what you, and maybe leave off the excuses. So what does it look like when you hear somebody who's truly repentant? What's confession look like? A guy named Ken Sandy, he, he has a website called peacemakers.net. I just ripped this right off of him. He's got a, just phenomenal resources for what it looks like for relationships being restored called peacemakers.net. He says this about what confession looks like. He calls it the seven A's of confession. When someone truly is confessing, they'll do this. They'll address everyone involved. 
You'll talk about all the people you hurt. Secondly, you'll, you'll avoid the if, the but, the maybe. You don't try to excuse what you did wrong when you confess. Third A, you'll admit specifically. No generalities, no, yeah, I'm sorry for that type, but no, no, here's what my sin was against you and I'm sorry. You'll acknowledge the hurt. Express sorrow for the hurt you caused because of your sin. Here's a fifth one, you'll accept the consequences. Accept the consequences of your sin. Maybe restitution needs to happen. Maybe some, some payment needs to be made. Maybe something needs to be done because of the sin you've done. You'll accept those consequences. Number six, you'll alter your behavior. Someone who's truly repentant, repentance means to turn away. So you're gonna alter your behavior. I'm not saying you'll do it perfectly. You still may stumble and fall if it's a habitual sin, but you're changing. You're working towards altering your behavior. And then lastly, you'll ask for forgiveness. So when do I forgive somebody? It's when somebody repents. You can't forgive somebody who is unrepentant. Now, let me explain what I mean here. There's nowhere in Scripture where you see God reach out to the unrepentant and offer forgiveness. It's the one who turns. It's the one who, who responds to the, the call of God in their heart. They're the ones who God forgives. There's, there's more rejoicing in heaven over the sinner who what? Who repents. So what do you do with that person who's unrepentant? What, what do I do with my heart? Here's what I would say. The vertical and horizontal comes in here. You go vertical with it. You give that person, you give that sin to the Lord. You're not forgiving them because they're not repentant, but you're giving it over to the Lord. But you're saying, God, you're gonna take vengeance because I'm not. Lord God, I'm not gonna think evil thoughts about this person any longer. You're not gonna let your heart grow in bitterness. You're gonna give that person, you're gonna give that sin to the Lord and say, God, you take care of this. And while you're doing that work, you're also saying, Lord, keep softening my heart towards them so I am ready to offer forgiveness as soon as they're turned. And, and God, you need to do that gospel work in my heart because right now I don't want to forgive them. They're unrepentant about it. And you pray, Lord, soften my heart towards them. If you find yourself saying, I will never forgive them unless they repent, that's not a heart softened by the gospel, Right? You should be leaning in. If, if not, you'll be buried in bitterness. And so what do we do? We release it to the Lord. We say, Lord, Lord, this person has hurt me so deeply that they won't confess it. They won't ask for forgiveness. They won't change their behavior. I can't forgive them because if I do, I'm misrepresenting your grace and your gospel. I'm, I'm damaging their spiritual welfare if I just let this thing go. But Lord, I'm not gonna carry the pain around anymore. I'm gonna hand that over to you. Because Lord, you said vengeance is mine. I will repay. And so Lord, I'm, I'm gonna leave that to you. I'm gonna trust that you take care of this better than I can. And Lord, I promise I'm not gonna dwell on the sin. I'm gonna transfer it to you. Whenever it comes to my mind, I'm gonna give it back to you and say, God, you've got this. And I'm trusting you're gonna deal with it in your time and in your way. And God, you know that I'm ready to forgive freely and fully should they ever ask for it. And so we go to sleep at night, not ruminating on it any longer. 
We, we, re, we release those seeds of bitterness before they're planted deep into our hearts. We, we give it to God saying, God, you're the ultimate judge. God, you bring them to repentance. And then you join that mission of God by praying for that person, by seeing them as someone in need of God. Remember, forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Reconciliation will be the end game of forgiveness for sure, but you're praying for them to, to repent. And, and because you've been there so much, because you've given the sin this way so much, because you've sought the Lord so much, because you've placed yourself under the gospel so much, when that time comes, man, your, your forgiveness trigger finger is so itchy that they're like, you know what? What I've done, I'm sorry. And you're like, there. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to process it. And I forgive you. I already had. My heart's already been worked on by the Lord. I'm already in that place to offer this. Now, those are not easy things to do. It's why we need, for, why we, why we need community around us. It's why you need to reach out to your small group to say, listen, I need help in this. Don't let this call of Scripture go, that we're called to confront. We're called to repent. We're called to forgive. Now, here's the last question I've got for us this morning. So that's how I do it, but let me, let me finish with this. Why would I do this? That person who sinned against me and has come repentant, asking for my forgiveness, why would I forgive them? I would say this. I would say it's the main thing of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We call ourselves Christians. That just means little Christ. We, we want to look and live and, and act like Jesus. And so, so what does it mean to be a Christian? We can say, well, I'm, I'm just all about worship. Or, Man, I just love theology. Man, I, I'm just all about evangelizing. Well, here, I think this is the core root of what it means to be a Christian is that we forgive. It's the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So again, look at Matthew 18. Look at verse 21. After Jesus lays this out, this is what you do. This is how you approach somebody in sin. And, and Peter goes, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Like if, if I do this and I work on this and the person truly is confessing, truly is repentant, how, how often should I forgive him? And then he asks this, as many as seven times. I've said this before. Do you understand what Peter's doing there? See, in, in Jewish law, the way they kind of had it figured out was someone could sin against you three times, three strikes and you're out. So Peter kind of wants to look spiritual, right? So he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll double it and I'll add one. This will look great. Jesus, what about seven times? Like Peter's, I think he's kind of putting himself out there as, hey, look how awesome I am, Jesus. Look at verse 22. And Jesus said, do not say seven times, but 70 times seven. <coughs> okay, you mean... Like, Jesus, I wasn't saying how, how many times uh, anybody would ever sin over the period of a lifetime. I just mean like one person sinning against me. That's, that's what I meant, Jesus, when I asked that one person. And yeah, yeah, Jesus, like, that's what I mean. That one person does it over and over again. And then Jesus says, let me, let me tell you a story so you can figure this out. Now, now, you understand something. When Jesus tells stories, they're not, hey, get a cup of hot cocoa and a blanket and curl up. This is going to be a really nice story. Jesus tells stories to shock us, all right? They, they should be a bit of a kick in the gut to us as he turns our reality on, on its head and goes, no, no, this is what, you think it's this way? Let me tell you a story to show you what it really is. So Jesus says this, verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, how much is that? Well, a talent was a measure of weight. 
It's hard to give an accurate number of what a talent was, but biblical scholars say that a, a talent is worth 6,000 denarii. Is that cleared up for you? Great, okay, let's go on. I'm kidding. A denarii, what a denarii was, a denarii was one day's labor for, for just a general laborer. One day's pay for, for a person who's a laborer. So one day's pay for a laborer. 6,000 is, is one talent. So 6,000 days of work <coughs> times that by 10,000. We're talking about billions, maybe trillions of dollars here, okay? So, so Jesus goes on. So this guy owes trillions and billions of dollars. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, really, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He couldn't, right? We get that, right? There's no way he could pay it. But look at verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant, released him and forgave him the debt. Jesus is saying, this is a picture of your heavenly father. We don't know how this servant lost the money. Did he gamble it? He, he was put in trust to take care of his king's money, to do stuff with it, to use it well. And I don't know, did he lose it? Did he just spend it all on himself? There's nothing he could do to make this right. Completely the compassion of the master to, to extend grace and, and he does. And Jesus is like, this is what it's like. When, when you're forgiven, this is what it's like. Now you would expect this guy to leave that place, to leave the palace, high-fiving everybody, full of joy, just so, so eager to be a man who forgives others because he was set free from an unpayable debt. Yet verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. So remember what a denarii is. A denarii is a day's wages. So 100 denarii, it's not small money. Right? It's a hundred days work, but it's not trillions of dollars either. It says, in seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Listen, whenever you withhold forgiveness from somebody, this is you. This is God's view of who we are. Whenever I withhold forgiveness from somebody who confesses, somebody who repents, and I withhold forgiveness, this is the picture of us. We are that servant, forgiven of the trillion dollar debt by Christ. All our sins forgiven. And we go out and grab somebody and say, you pay me what you owe. And you grab your spouse, you grab your kids, you grab your friends, you grab your siblings, you grab your parents, and you say, pay me what you owe. And listen, I'm not saying the sin was small. Jesus doesn't just say he owed him five bucks. It's, it's a significant sin, but he's showing us that, that even the biggest sin against us is nothing compared to what we've been forgiven. So look at verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Listen to what Jesus says, this is shocking. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. But there's the kick in the stomach of the story. 
Maybe you're sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. At Harvest, we talk so much about the gospel. We talk all the time. It's not about your works. You can't do anything to get to heaven. Now, now Jesus just says, hey, it's about your forgiveness, whether or not you're in the kingdom. I thought it was just me believing in Christ. I thought it was me putting my hope and my life on Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's not about my good works. Is Jesus saying that if I forgive, I get to heaven? If I don't, I go to hell? That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, listen, listen, the way the servant acted proved that he did not actually open his heart up to the gospel, to the grace that was given him by the king's mercy. Jesus is not saying, if you forgive, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to hell. What he's saying is, if you don't forgive your brother, your sister, your neighbor, it's a sign your heart never really has responded to my grace. I mean, think of it this way. If, if I had two trees in my yard, two apple trees, and year after year, one produced apples and the other didn't produce anything, what would you have to say about the one tree? Well, you'd say, well, it's either sick, it's either disease, or it's dying, or it's dead. There's no fruit being produced. The fruit in the one apple tree, the fruit doesn't mean, doesn't give life to the tree, but the fruit reveals the life that's in the tree. Jesus saying there's absolutely no better way to tell whether or not you have a real relationship with God based on his grace than whether or not you display grace. Jesus said the king threw him in prison. The truth is the man was already there. If, if you're living in bitterness and unforgiveness, you're already in a prison. You're like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. That person who sinned against me, they're in jail. Yeah, but you gotta guard them the whole time. And it might feel great. It might feel good. That bitterness, it, it does taste good. The, the, the angry thoughts we have, man, they, they do go down so nice. We, we can drink in those, those fantasies of how I'm going to get that person and what I'll say when I see them again. And, and it's, it's like a feast fit for a king. But listen, listen, listen. You're feasting on yourself. You're that half-eaten turkey carcass on the table. Jesus is saying, listen, when, when you refuse to forgive, you feel so self-righteous, so self-pitying, so self-centered. You actually look more like Satan than you do like Jesus. I mean, if, if you truly believe the gospel and you hold a grudge, at the very least it shows that you, you're stopping the effects of the gospel in your life. And it's so serious. It's so serious. Listen, maybe you don't believe the gospel at all. Either way, when you continue to scream, pay what you owe to that person you have imprisoned, all, all that anger and pain and, and hurt and bitterness and sin, it still controls you. And so what do we do with it? Well, this morning as the worship team comes up, we're gonna celebrate communion together as a way to respond to what we've just heard. Listen, there's no better sign of the spiritual condition of your heart. There's no better sign of, of, of your eternal destiny than whether you forgive or not. <clears throat> I mean, this is something that we all need. This is something every one of us needs. We need to hear the weight of the words of Christ here. I mean, some of you right now, you have people in your life that you are seriously angry at. As the ushers come forward, they're going to hand out communion as we walk through this. 
There are two cups. Grab both as they go by. Bread's in the one and the, the, in the bottom one. Grab them both. They're stacked on top of each other. If, And as you do that, why is this so important? There are people here, I know, there are people here where there are, there's somebody in your life that you are so angry with right now. <clears throat> or maybe you're here and you're, you're in denial. You, you haven't really forgiven them, that, that you would say it with words, but your heart still harbors bitterness towards them. Some of you maybe are here this morning, there's someone here that you, that, that, and you haven't forgiven somebody and you, and you know it and you, you're holding on. You say, I hope I never see them again. And you avoid them and there's, there's deep bitterness. There's a grudge that's grown in your heart. Some of you right now, maybe it's not that deep. Maybe it's just little irritations. People that are bothering you and it's, it's disrupted the relationship you have with them and it's, Disrupt to the point where it's, it's cold, it's awkward, it's, it's different than it should be. Maybe this morning you're sitting here going, no, I'm good. There, there's nobody. I can't think of anybody I have a problem with. I would say this, just wait. <laughs> you will. We're, we're broken, sinful people. You, you will be hurt. You will be sinned against by people in this church. We, we will hurt each other. We all need this. We all need to hear this. We all need to wrestle with this. We all need to hold on to the bread and the cup, the bread that represents Jesus' body given for us, the cup that represents his blood poured out for us. We need to see the cross clearly again this morning. We recognize that Jesus absorbed all the wrath of God towards our sin. That while we are his enemies, he did that. So in light of the cross, who in your life do you need to forgive? Maybe they're unrepentant. So, so who in your life right now do you need to say, Lord, I just got to give this to you. I've been holding on to bitterness about this. And, and yeah, I know I can't forgive them yet because they've never repented yet. But God, I want to give the hurt and the pain to you. I want to deal with this vertically today, right now. Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friendship you have here at Harvest. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's an old past relationship that, that continues to stir up hurt and anger and bitterness in your heart. Christ calls us to forgive. Listen, if, if you need help with that, it's a community project. I mean, after the service, there'd be people up here that would love to pray with you. If you, if you need prayer about how do I release this to the Lord, that the person is unrepentant, what do I do? How do I, how do, the person has repented, but I still don't know how to walk this out in reconciliation. And, I mean, we love to do that with you, whether it's in your small groups or whether just praying with somebody up here this morning. Or maybe it's not that you need to forgive somebody. Maybe as you think of the cross this morning in communion. Maybe it's you that's caught in sin. 
Maybe you're the unrepentant one. And you're holding on to this secret sin that you're not letting be exposed. You're you're holding on to a sin that you've hurt somebody and you just continue to act in it. And, and maybe this morning's a morning where you respond to the call of the gospel and you say, I'm coming back. I'm returning. And heaven rejoices over the one who repents. So this morning, would you take time right now? I'm just gonna give a couple minutes for you just to, to process, to pray, to think. If you need to make a move even right now before you take communion, scripture says if you come to church and there's sin you've got against somebody, you've sinned against somebody, you're holding bitterness against somebody, scripture says leave your offering and go and make it right, then come back and worship. So before we partake in communion, don't let that sin have you partake in an unworthy manner. If it's something you need to deal with between you and the Lord, deal with it now. If it's something you need to deal with horizontally, I'd say take the time right now. Do the awkward move. We're all gonna close our eyes and and we're gonna bow our heads in a moment. If you need to get up and quietly move to somebody because there's something you need to take care of, then take care of that this morning. Begin that process this morning. And after a few minutes, we're gonna partake together. So I just ask even right now, as the band plays quietly, that just all our eyes closed, heads bowed. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord. Jesus, I uh, thank you for your sacrifice. That you lived the perfect life that, that we couldn't live. and You died a death in our place, a death we deserve because of our sin. And you forgave the trillion dollar debt that we could never pay back. And even now as we remember your your body given and your blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. God, we we come to you with open hearts. We lay our sin before you knowing that it's been forgiven. We see the cross and Lord Jesus, it compels us to deal with things horizontally as well, to live like you've called us to live as ones who have been forgiven much and so we love much. Lord God, may that be so of our church here today. Heal the bitterness, heal the hurt, heal the wounds. God, we trust in your justice. And in your plans. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.